always had my demons. And so I went away. Hello, Dexter Morgan fans, and welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, a writer-producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special event series, Dexter New Blood. That's right. Dexter is plunging back into our lives on November 7th. But before we dive into the new series, we're going to be discussing what was and what you may not have known and maybe even reveal a bit about what's to come. Today, we're celebrating Dexter by delving into favorite moments, characters, and even some burning questions with a couple of amazing Dexter superfans. First up, Gareth Watkins. Hi, it's great to meet you. He's the host of the Dexter Fan Podcast, Dissecting Dexter. And Samantha Hanready. Hi. Who is starring in the new Showtime original series, Yellow Jackets. And we are all super pumped to see this. Oh my God. I'm pumped to be here. So let's jump right in. What sort of drew you guys to the character of Dexter? Because, you know, it's kind of a dark subject matter, kind of a dark dude. I mean, I know I get all sorts of looks whenever I reveal that I write for Dexter. What drew you to Dexter initially? Gareth, why don't you go? Well, it was a, a friend of my wife that put us onto the show and he said, uh, he said, you really need to be watching this Dexter. And he described it. And I thought, that sounds like something, like, well, unlike anything I've seen before. It was totally different. <laughs> Clearly something I should be taking a, a stab at, if you pardon the expression, pardon the pun. <laughs> so we did, we, we dove into it and it quickly became a favourite show. And I think it's the anti-hero that attracted me, this concept of, of our protagonist who does bad stuff and isn't your classic chiseled goody two-shoes hero that might have featured in TV series back in the 80s and 90s that, that I'm sure a lot of us grew up with. And it was a, just a change of tone. I like the dark tone. I think I was just ready for it. I think it was at a stage of my my TV viewing journey, if you like. Uh, and of course, it came along at a time with other shows that were also, it, it was kind of a period of, of, of new shows with anti-heroes like Breaking Bad and Mad Men, Sopranos, and audiences embraced this kind of thing. And I got hooked. I loved the colourful setting. I loved the mix of darkness with, with very dark humour. Dexter's voiceovers were fun. I immediately loved Deb. <laughs> very colourful character, colourful in personality as well as language. And yeah, I, I just went in, jumped straight in and, and loved it. Oh, that's great. As Deb would say, fucking A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. I think that, you know, my mom had told me about the show and was like, I think you'd really love it because I've always loved crime shows. Quick pause. Just your mom, your mom suggested... <laughs> I, oh yeah awesome. oh yeah she was like you have to watch the show and you know, I'd heard about it and so I, I started watching about probably about five years ago is when I started watching it for the first time and I think I spent two months just binge watching the entire show I don't think I saw a single person in those two months I was you know I had a little like dance every time that the theme the themes I'd say theme song but you know the opening sequence yeah. would come on and yeah it was just one of those shows it's one of those shows that you sit on the edge of your seat and you're putting your... I, I When I watch something, I put myself in the shoes of the character, you know, as an actor. And I'm like, sure. dang, what would I do if I was, you know, if I was in that situation or, you know, if I was Dexter and just getting to watch, he's so smart and he's charming and he's exciting. And it's it's just... 
it's so, it, the entire show is exciting and you fall in love with every character. And yeah, I grew up watching very like, you know, black and white, good guy versus bad guy. And to see a show that just completely scraps all of that. And yeah, you're rooting for the vigilante in it. It's, it's just so exciting. And you know, it's exciting enough to then watch a two-minute trailer for what's to come. And I'm still to this day sitting on the edge of my seat being like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, my, my boyfriend sent me the trailer the second it dropped and I was like, I'm shaking. I'm so excited. So yeah. Yeah, it's funny. So Gareth, you saw it like week to week and had to wait in between. Or did you did you binge it also? Because I've heard different, the way people experience it is has been so different nowadays. You know, like my, I have a 17-year-old daughter. So she binged it like you did, Sam, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, eight hours a day, just pounding this thing in her brain. But back in the day, you had to just wait a week, which is how it's going to air this time also. Yeah, so for me, I think it was season two had finished when I jumped on board. So okay. I'd, I'd missed the week to week of the first two seasons. And then we binged it and we binged the hell out of it. And then we had to wait for season three. Do you like waiting or do you like binging? Do you know, when, when it's a show, that's, that's a tough one because sometimes shows just drop all at once these days, don't they? And, and you can just go, you know, watch a ep- couple of episodes a night. But there is a lot to be said for watching an episode a week and then you get to savour it. And then you get to think about it and let it ruminate. And you can talk about it with your friends. You could podcast about it. There's an idea. And, and, and chat to people about it and get involved in the conversation. Whereas when something like Stranger Things these days, it just drops all at once. Great show. And that would be ripe for podcasting and theorizing about, but it drops at once and everyone watches it at different speeds. And you don't get that same community building around it. Yeah, because you, you go like, hey, did you see, did you see when uh, Doke said, I didn't get that far yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a lot of that. It's not as shared. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting now a chance to watch it week to week because I know like, with my partner, we're going to be making it a date night, you know, a Dexter date night where it's like we watch the show and yeah, we get to sit and talk about it for the rest of the week together, you know? And I like the idea of viewing parties with friends and family, you know, it's, it's different than sitting down and watching it. I feel like binging is almost a solo thing, whereas getting to watch it week to week is more of a community aspect, you know? The communal experience of Dexter is surprising how that works, which I guess sort of gets to the, the, the podcasting. So Gareth, you were podcasting this thing before I like I, I started the Dexter wrap up in season seven, but you were going strong from when and, and how did that come about? So I was well, the podcast started in 2010. What's the name of the podcast? Dissecting Dexter. And when that happened to Rita, I thought, right, I'm gonna do Dexter because there's gonna be lots of excitement for the new season. There should be a, a ready-made audience. There'll be people clamoring for Dexter content. I had a look out there and there wasn't much out there podcast-wise. There, there were one or two podcasts, but obviously it was between seasons. So I thought I will go back to the start, season one, and we'll, we'll do a rewatch podcast. So I went episode to episode and I got to about season, just into season two, I think, when season five aired. So I went week to week then and then return to the rewatch in between seasons. So it's been sort of jumping about a bit in, in the Dexter timeline, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. I love it. I kind of want to hear from your words what it was like at the first table read and then all the way to the last table read, not, not from the newest season, but yeah, I, was, I just want to hear you know, what, that, what that felt like and what it was like to see it all come together and then to kind of close that book for a little bit. 
first season, every episode was like a joy. And I was a writer assistant on the first season. So I've sort of gone from writing assistant to executive producer. So that's been fun. <laughs> yeah, amazing. amazing. You know, so, I mean, obviously I was... Words can, I'm such a fan. I'm such a geeky fan, which I guess is why I loved doing the podcast and loved just doing all this sort of stuff. It was, it was, you know, it was a joy watching Michael and Jennifer and everybody just sort of figure all this out and then see the difference between what they did at the table read and what they did on set, you know? Right. Imagine for you, right? When you do the table reads, it's sort of like you read it, you absorb it, and then something happens in between the table read and when you perform it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like that's that's where the magic sort of happens. Let's just talk about some of our favorite moments. Samantha. Yes. Do you have like a top three? Oh my gosh. Well, my I have a number one, believe it or not. Okay. Um, I believe and it. And I feel like everybody has their different opinions on it. But I think for me is when Deb confesses her love to Dexter. It's like just, oh my gosh. Like... It's such a good scene and such a good moment that I actually pulled it and did it in an acting class because I loved it so much. Like that's how obsessed I was over it. And I just, yeah, I just added this whole new thickness to the plot, you know, and it's their brother and sister. It's, it's a very, <laughs> it's just the whole, the whole thing is just no, but it's so good. It's a yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's definitely, definitely my favorite moment. I think of the entire series is just in that that confession from her. It was funny about that. Like when we were coming up with that in the room, Yeah, there, there was half the room was like, that's just too wrong. We just can't, mm. you know? And I had to remind everybody, you know, they're adopted and this sort of thing happens in a lot of families with, with adoptions and all that. But what was funny was like in a show where a man captures people, drugs them, strips them, wraps them in plastic, gets a confession out of them, stabs them in the heart or chops off their head and then chops them into pieces. Like, that's the line we draw. <laughs> right, right. Like, that's connection. So well, that's actually, I, I actually had a question for you. So that wasn't thought of in the very beginning. That wasn't like a thing that you guys told Jennifer in the very beginning. Like, hey, you know, Deb's in love with Dexter. Like, there, there was never that. Was that something that you guys knew or... No, it sort of, it, it, it appeared as, as, as we watched it and as we watched the relationship grow and grow. Right. With her, you know the way that she never was able to really connect with Harry because Harry was connecting so deeply with, with Dexter, like things just get all mixed up, you know? Right. So it was, it was one of these things that I think it started sort of forming in our heads around season six. And of course, Jennifer was just like, uh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I love that because somehow, yeah, somehow it's, it just, it worked so well that like, even when I would go back and watch previous seasons, I'd be like, Totally. She's totally in love with him, you know? <laughs> so that's that's so awesome that even though it wasn't in mind, it works so well. That scene is is one of my favorites from the series as well. Primarily because of Jennifer's performance. She just acts the hell out of that. When she confessed as a fan, I was torn. I was thinking do I like this direction? Because she had those therapy sessions, didn't she? And the, and the shrink brought up this notion and she's like, hell no, you know, go to hell kind of thing. And then she sort of thought about it. But because I was thinking, yeah, like you say about protecting the ones you love. And I was thinking, would her sisterly love for her brother be enough for her to do what she did later with LaGuerta and, and not turning him in and all, all that kind of stuff? And I I don't know, but then as, as a character, I sort of look at her and, and like you say, she's 
she's damaged like Dexter is just in different ways. She's got daddy issues. She's had trauma. Yeah, she didn't watch her mother get dismembered in front of her, but she lost her mum to cancer. She lost her dad at an early age. She had to compete for her father's affections. Then within the show, Brian, she's been shot. She saw Lundy killed in front of her. She got poisoned. You know, the list, the list goes on. She's She's been through more trauma than Dexter. She's been through it. Yeah, she's yeah. been through hell. <laughs> when you put it that way. You know, it's no wonder she's she's so emotionally dysregulated throughout. You know, she's always short-tempered, hot-headed, impulsive. Maybe her fruity language is, is linked to that, that she just, she has no filter. And maybe that's all part of her early experiences. Wait, didn't they say like that Jennifer like has the most F-bombs to ever be on television or something like that? I swear I, I, I heard an interview once upon a time. So awesome. I mean, there was that scene in the elevator where I think she I said the F-word like 32 times. <laughs> That's fucking great. Yeah. She had a blast. It was fun. It was fun coming up with new words to use all the time. And I was going to say Arthur Mitchell, like that's in its own, that his storyline, everything about him was also my favorite of the entire series. Just so good. And it sucks because Rita was my favorite character, but then Arthur is my second favorite character. So <laughs> it's, uh, I guess if there was any way that she could go, I, I surprisingly was actually okay with it <laughs> because I did love him so much. But I'm like, were the actors told prior that like, hey, your death is coming soon? Or like, here's your, you know, or was it not until they got the episodes that they knew like, oh, this is, this is it? Yeah. We tried to keep it. I tried to know at least a couple weeks ahead, you know? Right. Okay. Okay. Because I know some, some shows, they won't, they'll wait till like the day of and they're like, by the way, get <laughs> ready. Like <laughs> I've had that. I've had that. So I was just curious. Yeah. If, if it's something that, because I know that so many scripts can be so secretive and especially a show that's so loved like this that, you know, you want to keep things under wraps. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I just was curious on if people yeah, at, uh, were prepared. At the top of every season, every actor's like walks in to the first read through. <laughs> Very wary, looking at everybody else, going, all right, uh, it is a show about serial killing. I mean, who's going to die, you know? Totally. Who's going to die this season? Twitchy. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because you always knew the big was, bad was probably going to die. Yeah, like Rita, that was, that, was a, oh, that was a big secret. Oh my gosh. But like, wow, what a, what like, I just don't know if I, I don't, I still haven't gotten over it. I have not gotten over that. That was tragic because she just, she was the person who, who deserved it least. You know, if anyone deserves a happy future after what she'd been through. I've run it. It was funny because I, I followed Julie Benz on Twitter prior to season four. So it was during shooting. And she posted a picture of the gift that she was given. She was given a knife. Do you remember that, Scott? She was given a knife in a box. Yeah. And she posted this and said, thanks. Thanks for everybody for this lovely gift. And it didn't click in my head. Why would she be getting this? When the finale happened, oh my God, it was a punch to the gut. It was it was horrific. And it was one of those moments where I was watching it, my wife sat next to me and we watched it and there wasn't a sound in the room. And then when the credits rolled, we both just sat there silent, just staring at the credits, not really reading. It was just a blur. And the only other time I've felt like my insides have been ripped out and fed to me was the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. It, it was that powerful and shocking. It was the shock value, I think, that made me feel like that uh, initially. But just, and the tragedy, the tragedy. Well, it felt like Dexter won. You saw yeah. Dexter pop up out of the car and take down Trinity. And you're just yeah. like, yes, 
I've been waiting for this guy to win finally. You know, after all of the inc- incredible carnage that Trinity brought into Dexter's life and into his own life, like the Thanksgiving episode, which is another big fan favorite, it seems like, with Trinity. You know, I remember uh, at the read-through of that script, people were, everybody sitting there was just like, <gasps> had that same that same feeling. And it was, it was sad, you know, because Julie Benz is amazing. She was such a great part of this thing. Yeah. But when you're telling a story about a serial killer, it's, it's impossible that it doesn't touch his life in, in these ways also, you know? It was awful for him because he was at a, he, he'd come to a bit of a turning point, didn't he, where he was embracing fatherhood, being a husband, a stepfather. He had some sweet moments with, with the kids. And the last thing he would have wanted is for, his, is for Harrison to suffer anything close to what he did at that age. And bugger me, if, if it wasn't the identical thing and there's Harrison sat <laughs> yeah. in the pool of blood, it was just, just heartbreaking. And, and you just feel like the, the floor just drops from beneath him. And, you know, if the earth could have swallowed him up right there, just, just awful. And you think your heart goes out to him. He's had all this journey and made all this progress. And then you think he's going to be back to square one. But... With the a baby. for season five. <laughs> yeah, but the excitement for season five is, are all bets off now. Is he going to go way off the reservation <laughs> and, and go ballistic? Or is he going to go the other way? Is it going to, who knows? And, and that, was, that was just the most amazing finish to a season. Yeah, I think that goes, those goes almost back to the binge watching versus watching it, you know, episode by episode and season by seasons. Because even the way that you're describing it, I'm like, oh, you know, as much as as much fun as it is to binge, I almost feel like even the way that you're talking about it, I almost like missed that by then I quickly jumped into season five because I'm like, what happens? What happens? You know what I mean? But like, I, I didn't really, I like just even hearing that, I'm like, wow. Yeah, you really got to almost grieve that loss with him, you know? I like, wow. Yeah. Like I, I thought it hit me hard, but I can't imagine then having to wait an entire season to see where yeah, things pick up. It's like, yeah, yeah eight months wow. later. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then that kind of leads into the start of season five with one of my favorite moments of, of the series, which was uh, Dexter killing the redneck in the men's room because he goes off in his boat, doesn't he? And you think, yeah, he's coming unhinged. You know, there was no no care. It was just completely spontaneous bludgeons this guy with was it an anchor yeah or some some implement and he just breaks down and he he's there crouched on the floor on all fours and harry's there and he's saying he's trying to comfort him and dexter lets out the most inhuman cry i rewatched it in preparation for this because it's one a moment that sticks in my mind and it 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 just resonates in your core because you know what he's what he's going through and and it's it's like as human as he's as he's ever been it's just pure grief it's an outpouring of grief and anger and all sorts. It's Just not controlled. Wonderful acting, it's wonderful acting. Yeah, yeah. Michael C. Hall is incredible. Yeah, and in that scene especially. And I agree, like when we were crafting that, it is the point why I'm glad you like that, that, it's, that it, it is his most human moment, you know, his most grieving moment. This, this person that is so shut down and sort of devoid of emotion and looks at humanity and says, why are they happy or why are they sad? You know, like the funeral that he went to, where he had to put sunglasses on to make it look like, you know, like a pro tip to psychos wear sunglasses, sunglasses so it looks like you're sad. And he really experiences just intense grief. Yeah. And rage. Yeah. yeah very, it was uh, very powerful. One of the things I just really love about, especially in the first season, is just seeing the flashbacks. I'm a sucker for flashbacks. And I just love being able to see where Dexter 
came from and, you know, and just seeing his relationship with his father and, and just seeing, you know, Harry, I just, I just loved that entire dynamic, you know, in season one of just getting to really understand who he was and, and who he is now, you know, he was a, he was a victim. You know, I think that's why we, we care about him so much. And maybe he was a victim to his own father, you know? Yeah. James Remar, who's incredible as Harry, always, you know, I've been a big fan of his since like the Warriors. Mm-hmm. When you inhabit a character, you create their the past and your story. And sometimes it works alongside with what's on screen. And sometimes it's completely different. Right. You know, like for instance, with Remar as Harry, in his story of training Dexter, he and Dexter would like break into the city morgue and they would practice dissecting bodies. <laughs> mm. Which was, you know, like yeah. even darker than anything we imagined, you know, and in, right. our, in our imagination, it was, Harry was very much, when it was all sort of like, this will make sense because there are bad people in the world who get away with it. But when, when Harry, you know, in that episode, when, when Harry, and in a flashback, when Harry looks in and he finds his son chopping up, you know, like the second or third victim, you know, he vomited. He was just sick. It was too much. And for, for Remar on the day, Remar was sort of like, nah, that wouldn't be too much. We've done that all the time. I was like, well, what's your favorite, uh, each of your favorite adversaries for Dexter? I mean, I know we already talked about Trinity. Let's just get that out on the table. He's a given. He's incredible. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. That, that's sort of like, okay. And then what? I love Dokes. I love Dokes. And I, and I, I, I would almost put him a little bit ahead of Trinity because of, I want to say legal ramifications of Dokes catching up with him because Dokes wasn't out to kill him. Dokes wanted to bring right. him in and, and give his career a, a bit of a, a bit of a boost, I guess. But Dokes was a good cop. He was honourable and, uh, and he was right. He was right. In any other, <laughs> if this would have been a 90s movie, he would have been the hero of this show. <laughs> it would have been Dokes, you know, big, big brash letters. And he's convinced that there's a bad, there's some bad shit going on in the force. Yeah, you that, know? that fight on the dock would have ended differently outside the cabin. But I, I, I love right from right from the first episode, I think Dokes walks past and he's giving him the eye, the, the narrow eyes, the squint. And, and Dexter says, how come in a building full of cops is only Dokes that, <laughs> that sees through me? <laughs> yeah. And of course, I mean, Dokes is the man of a thousand memes, isn't he? <laughs> and and, and their, their interactions were, were just goals. And, and, and for me, obviously, the, the, when they, the, the surprise motherfucker scene is obviously up there. But I love, love the moment when they're having that tete-a-tete in Dexter's lab and Dexter says, I own you. And he tries to provoke him and it works. I just love that. I love that. It's, it's yeah. almost a punch the air moment. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's funny for somebody, Dexter, being so sort of alien in this world, the way he's able to sort of like know how to get at, the, get at people. Uh, like in that moment, how he knew just the one thing he could do to... to uh, to win, more or less, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sociopaths can be manipulators, can't they? Uh, that's one of the. That's one of the the, the gifts of a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can sort of like stand from the outside and figure out human beings around them and how to manipulate them and how to control them. You know. I feel like I keep going back to to season one, but I have to say the ice truck killer. Like you know, it's Brian. Like because that one. I, I guess I just always keep picking the things that have like a lot of the heart, you know, but like that one was, that was tough. Cause that was another one that kind of messed with my own morality of just, you know, like obviously not a big fan of Brian and the path he's picked, you know, <laughs> but also at the same time, like 
that longing for the connection between him and Dexter. And, and it just somehow I still found myself somewhat empathizing. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a part of me even just watching it after, you know, being a part of it, like when Brian left that security guard out and just being like, here you go, you can do it, you know, be like me, connect up. And especially at the end, how heartbreaking it is between he's got to choose between his sister who will never, as far as that point part goes, never really fully understand and accept him and a brother who will fully embrace him for who he is. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was tough. Like even, even in the moment we were sort of like, it could, it could go either way, but ultimately as Dexter says, Deb is, if he, if he's capable of love, he says about himself through his unreliable narrator, if he's capable of love, it would have been for Deb. And that's the heart of the story in, in a lot of ways. Even continuing into the new season, that she's sort of the, the, his, his conscience, his soul, his antagonist, <laughs> all those things. And it all stems from that moment you're talking about, that it's, it all stems from Dexter choosing Deb over his own flesh and blood. Garrett, do you have any questions about Dexter that's been sort of like burning in the back of your head? Uh, well, one, one for me that, that quite a broad one, really. I mean, I guess we could talk about it for hours, this topic, but it's the concept, and we, you did touch on this in, in one of your responses earlier, is the whole notion of Harry being a bad father, question mark discuss <laughs> that he got Dexter when he was three after that traumatic event and ditched and, and, and the ditched brother Brian. so and that so their paths had, had been together Dexter and Brian and then they diverged quite dramatically so Dexter went into this loving family and Brian went into the system and Harry it seems fairly early on cottoned on to, to Dexter having some quote-unquote issues which Stop became killing pets yeah. yeah which which obviously <laughs> grew more and more serious and I think his, his handling of, of his son's problems came from a well-meaning place. But ultimately, by the time he pulled in some, some psychiatric help in the form of Dr. Vogel, that Dexter was already on the cusp of teenage. Was he 10? Uh, I want to say like 12, maybe. Something but I, like I, that, I, yeah. It's so, fuzzy, so yeah. Those, so those His preteen, sort of dark, yeah. Those sort of antisocial, those, those, those problematic traits were pretty much ingrained by that point. In other words, the damage was pretty much done you know as, as a developing human being we don't they say that show me the child at seven and i'll show you the man at 30 something like i'm maybe misquoting the, the saying but it's something like that that your core your core characteristics are pretty much ingrained at that point so it's like harry was well-meaning but seriously misguided and and it brings in the concept of of nature versus nurture and, and whether someone is born bad born evil or whether they're a product of their environment and we saw what happened to Brian and we saw what happened to Dexter. They both ended up as killers, but Dexter in a far more structured way, but still having to kill. And Brian, much more chaotic. I guess there's a question in there somewhere. Is, 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 is whether in the writer's room, whether you, I guess whether you wrestled or whether you were completely aware all the way through that, you know, Harry really, he's, he's not the best dad in the world, is he? He, he clearly loves his son, <laughs> but uh, he's not making good choices here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were there were other solutions he could have <laughs> he could have gone down. It feels like, but but the problem is that some of those solutions would have been like incarceration or put away into a into a psychiatric hospital. For us in the room, it was it was very much like the fact that Brian ended up and the, and the first book, Darkly Dreaming Dexter, is about this relationship between Dexter, this sort of like courtship between Dexter and Brian. The fact that Brian turned out so so incredibly violent and a conscienceless. 
in his need to kill so, sort of formed our decision. You know, it's more nature that caused Dexter to be what he is. Like there's something in his brain, you know, that's completely off and that there was sort of no choice, sort of inevitable to a certain extent outside of, you know, a mental hospital for the rest of his life or something. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the, that's the fun of like, of, of doing a, t- a TV show is that the minute you put it out there in the world, it's no longer the writers. It's no longer the actors. It's like everyone's it's, it's, you know, it's the viewers. We all shape. There's, there are shows that I love that I feel like are just as much mine. And I'm sure Yellow Jack is going to be that way for me that, that are just as much mine as they are the writers and the actors, you know, it's like you give, you give this thing out into the world and then everybody makes their own sort of choices and decisions. And there's things that they hate. You know, like Sam, when you're talking about when Deb announced her love to Dexter, there were some people that were just like, no, <laughs> this is this is awful. How could you do this to us? And that's valid, right? Because that's how they feel. That's uh, that's the joy of, of creating these sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. Harry was a bad dad, though. I, I, I'd be, <laughs> I feel pretty good. And Vogel was a bad doctor to go to. I think it was sort of like, that was the trigger you know, to the gun in a, in a lot of ways for how it happened. But he surely meant well. So talking about Dexter and Yellow Jackets a little bit, because I'm super oh. excited about uh, what, you, what you're going to be bringing. You're Misty, you. right, in it? Samantha? Yes, yes. Misty Cridgely, yes. <laughs> Misty Cridgely. So what sort of things do you feel like Dexter and Misty and Yellow Jackets and themes and all of that sort of, without giving any spoilers away, because, you know, right. all it seems like a trailer at this point. Because there's some the, darkness the big- going on on that show, I think. It looks like. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah, totally. I think the only thing I can say without giving away too much is just that, you know, if I had to say the similarities between the two would be that both Misty and Dexter have this, you know, underlying darkness and that they both have a bit of a face they put on a facade in front of others. And as audience members, we'll be able to see when there aren't people watching those true colors show. And she's just, she's a real, she's a real joy to play. I am, I'm so, so, so (laughs) excited for the show to come out and for people to see all of the elements that is Misty (laughs) because she's got a lot going on. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be so great. Things get really crazy, you know, we're in 1996 in a plane crash with a soccer team. That's another thing. I think the elements of just secrets, you know, both shows have a lot of secrets that get unfolded throughout the show. And does it flash um, forward and behind and everything too? Yeah, or? yeah. So there's me and Christina Ricci both play Misty. Wow. And yeah, I know what an honor. What the heck? I'm like, <laughs> it's it's really so special. Yeah, we just have a phenomenal cast. And it's uh, 1996 for the crash. And then all the way up until I believe 2021. And it's showing, yeah, what, what happened, the survivors who did what, and yeah, all of their, uh, their secrets kind of coming to the surface. I'm in. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I'm so excited. Yeah, it sounds intriguing. It's, it's going to be good. Thank you so much for coming on board this. Gareth, I look forward to being on your podcast. Samantha, we can't wait to see you on uh, as Misty on Yellow Jackets. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very, very excited. It'll be a, a, an exciting night. <laughs> I'm very, very very thrilled. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this week's episode. I listen every Tuesday and subscribe to the Dexter New Blood wrap up whenever you get your podcast and watch Dexter New Blood Sundays starting November 7th, only on Showtime. And then November 14th begins Yellow Jackets and you don't want to miss that at all. Thanks everybody. Have a good week.